0: four in the book, sixth edition of the Public Speaking Handbook. This is chapter four on page 41. Speaking Freely and Ethically is the title of this chapter. And hopefully by now all of you have listened to my lecture audio on Texas v. Johnson, which is one of the Supreme Court cases that is listed in this chapter on page 46. They talk about um, list the uh, Texas versus Johnson here, as they say the U.S. Supreme Court defends the burning of the U.S. flag as a speech act. Actually, the United States Supreme Court invented a new idea, a new term called a speech act. Is probably more accurately what it should uh, should say there. It doesn't defend. Uh, The burning of the flag, that's not an accurate uh, line description there. It makes an argument that uh, a state can't make a law that says you can't burn an American flag in public because the Supreme Court says that burning a flag is considered uh, protected speech under the First Amendment. So hopefully you uh, listened to that uh, lecture, and so that will be a little bit of a context for uh, chapter four. But probably chapter four will be, um, well, it could be considered the most controversial, um, at least, of the chapters or lectures uh, to date. Now, we've only just uh, begun talking about the uh, text. So most of you have already either read chapters one, two, and three, or uh, have listened to the audio, or you should have and still can prior to this. So the thing is, uh, the chapters do, in a sense, build on each other. They're not you can uh, read and listen to uh, read the chapters and/or listen to the podcasts independently. and still, um, that's fine. but there is some sense that they build a bit on each other. But uh, so, we're going to talk about speaking freely and ethically. And the book says there's three objectives here one, explain how free speech has been challenged and defended throughout history, two, list and explain five criteria for ethical public speaking, and then three, explain the relationship between ethics and credibility. And so, depending upon when you're listening to this audio broadcast, um, it could be in a time when there's all sorts of protests and um, lots of Uh, dissenting opinions about uh, what is legitimate legal protest and what is uh, violence, violent interactions and those kind of things so it just depends. So we'll put it in some kind of context uh, there. It honestly doesn't matter. I've been teaching for almost 25 years. It wouldn't matter when I was talking about free speech, uh, my opinion hasn't changed that much over the last 25 years, probably not since 1980. So I'm probably considered more of a free speech absolutist, which means, in general, that um, if you uh, don't like someone's opinion, uh, you should counter it with a, a better Opinion. It's not necessary to um, restrict or suppress or censor somebody's opinion that you disagree with. There's a lot of things, very positive things, that you can learn about yourself and about others by being able to hear opinions that you uh, disagree with, even if you passionately disagree with. So uh, on page 42, they have an outline. It says, speaking freely, free speech in the U.S. Constitution, free speech in the 20th century, free speech in the 21st century. And the second point, have a clear responsible goal when speaking. Use sound evidence and reasoning. Be sensitive and tolerant to differences. Be honest, don't plagiarize, and then lastly, speak credibly. So um, that's kind of where we start here. And again, uh, it doesn't matter uh, <laughs> what date or year that you're listening uh, to this and or uh, speaking about chapter this chapter, because again, when you're dealing with free speech, you do have even some amongst uh, serious people and even some scholars, uh, various views about it. But I think that if you were to look at the Constitution and then uh, take that seriously, it's going to be hard to think that the government uh, should penalize you for speaking freely. And it seems pretty reasonable that the government should protect your right to speak freely when others try to um, physically um, harm you from, uh, when you speak or to keep you from speaking. So we'll talk a lot about the United States Constitution, and I do recommend that uh, you read uh, it in entirety. And also the Federalist Papers would be great if you can also read those in the entirety. uh, But I would just minimally do some uh, investigating, read the Bill of Rights, and and just – learn about the history of the United States Constitution and also look at the different ways uh, the Constitution has been amended over the years and the different um, decisions that the Supreme Court has made, some good, some not so good, some horrible, some fantastic. And again, depending upon who you ask, they'll have different um, views on which ones are fantastic and which ones are horrible. So... I'm not sure if there's any um, great consensus, but there is an maybe an outlying outlying view, and maybe one that has greater consensus. So look those up, and then see how uh, even a couple of the latest Supreme Court decisions have happened. Uh, latest could be in the last two or three weeks. There's been a different uh, a bunch, but even over the last every session the Supreme Court is is in. They normally have two sessions. And um, one of them usually ends in June. And so you'll get lots of decisions in June. And then some you'll get some in the fall, in November or December. So they normally have a fall session and then a spring session. And then usually at the end of those sessions, they uh, will announce their findings. Okay. So there's a little bit of background. So it says um, here in the textbook how the uh, authors define it which, again, probably wouldn't be how I would define it. I would just um, go to the Constitution. This is probably easier if you just do that. So uh, it says here the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution, commonly known as the Bill of Rights, were adopted June 15th in 1790. They were ratified uh, in 1787, so here's uh, what the First Amendment says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So that is from the uh, actual um, Bill of Rights First Amendment. So Congress is the federal government, shall make no law. And then it says respecting an establishment of religion. It's interesting that they mentioned religion before they mentioned uh, speech. And then it says, um, Congress shall make no law of respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of it. And then next, after religion, they talk about abridging the freedom of speech. So Congress shall make no law that abridges the freedom of speech. I guess you could say it that way. And it talks about uh, the press gets to have some special protections. We'll talk about that later. And then also the right for the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Again, depending upon when you're listening to this, but uh, throughout the last 25 years, people have petitioned the government and people have peacefully protested and people have uh, also gathered in a criminal manner and uh, looted and burned and did things that uh, assaulted uh, individuals that is clearly not protected under the First Amendment uh, or protected under any of the state um, constitutions as well. So the book says free speech, broadly defined as the open exchange of information and ideas, is protected by laws in the United States. And they also talk about other countries. And I'm not familiar with any other country that protects... Um, the open exchange of information idea. So um, again, I may be somewhat critical of uh, the the authors. Germanly speaking, um, it's an excellent book, um, well documented and um, attributed as well. But I think in this chapter, I may be uh, point out some maybe some weaknesses in the author's perspective. And and it says here in other countries, and in most other countries, um, do oppress, suppress, and will. Um, uh, not allow the exchange of open and free ideas, and they're more likely to censor. Even Great Britain, where where the founding uh, peoples of our United States came from, in the late 1600s, um, today in Great Britain, one could um, get arrested for posting something on social media that the government uh, deems as uh, you know harmful. So. The United States still, out of all the countries, at least that I'm aware of, still has the uh, broadest protections for all people to say all sorts of uh, good and uh, maybe not so good things, um, especially about the people in power and in charge. In most countries, if you say something bad, negative, as interpreted by the people in power, especially the people in charge, uh, bad things can happen to you imprisoned um, dissidents are imprisoned um, all the time in various countries and also tortured and or killed for having opinions that uh, are the opposite of those people in charge. So, so, um, and then the book also says that it may also be considered a universal human right, again, uh, because these are constitutional rights. They're very particular to the United States because um, every country then uh, decides how to treat uh, the citizens' speech. We have a constitution that defines the limits of the uh, governments. And so there, the limits are not on the people, the, govern- the limits are on the government. So the people get to speak freely um, and the government uh, is is responsible to protect the people's right to speak freely. So... Um, so they define free speech a little bit more uh, broadly, maybe more nuanced than if you would just read it from the Constitution. So it says, certainly a few would dispute that the student protesters in these different, um, different areas didn't have the right to speak. Uh, they were using an example here in Missouri where um, a professor uh, asked for some, um, some people to physically help remove a reporter who was trying to report on on at least the reporter's view of some injustice in this on this campus. but again, the particular example you could look it up there's probably hundreds of examples so this one may um, be just contextual but over time it may not mean anything because there's all sorts of protests happening all the time. So that's kind of their definition broadly of free speech. They define ethics here as the beliefs, values, and moral principles by which uh, we determine what is right or wrong, they serve as criteria for the many decisions we make in our personal and professional lives and the judgments and our judgments of others' behavior. So it says we read and hear about ethical issues every day in the media, uh, which is true. Um, but ethics is an important component. It says ethical considerations should guide you during every step of the public speaking process as you determine the goal for your speech, outline your arguments, and select your supporting material. Think about the ethics values and moral principles of your audience as well as your own. Ethical public speaking is inherently audience-centered, always taking into account the needs of the listeners for sure. So anytime you speak, you do uh, want to take in the needs of the listeners for sure. So when you pick a topic, you pick a topic that interests you and also interests your audience. And if it just interested you and um, you were quite sure it didn't interest your audience, I probably would pick a new topic. Now, once you become a more advanced and, more and or uh, experienced, mature public speaker... You may take on some issues where the people listening may really not like what you have to say if you believe that you have a strong principle that is necessary, that, that, that should be necessarily communicated at that time. Uh, those are different kinds of speeches. For a public speaking class, I probably would find uh, current, uh, current ideas, current topics that are being discussed and the media, primarily in the uh, on the news media or the broadcast media, and use those um, reports to um, to grab a topic and to uh, then uh, you know develop your speech from that information. So on page forty three, it says, "Speaking freely, explain how free speech has been challenged and defended throughout the history, and." Um, Free speech has been um, challenged and defended for, for sure throughout history. And um, depending upon from which perspective one stands, it could be some people have argued, for instance, um, the uh, Westboro Baptist Church case um, a few years ago where the um, this uh, church, I would say in parentheses, but they consider themselves a church, would protest at military funerals. And they would say all sorts of mean and hurtful things. You can go look that stuff up. And um, some of the families, obviously, of the fallen uh, individuals were upset uh, by that. And there was a lawsuit, and it eventually went to the United States Supreme Court. And the question was, does the Westboro Baptist Church people have the right to Uh, go to uh, these funerals and yell uh, mean and rotten things and carry signs that say mean and rotten things about the individual who just uh, passed away. And rarely uh, does the Supreme Court um, uh, answer a case nine and nothing, but this case was interesting because it was nine to zero in favor of the Westboro Baptist Church uh, people and against the the families that were trying to bury the fallen military, um, uh, their family members. So the Supreme Court said even though the, the where and when they do it and what they say is mean and rotten and, and obviously hurtful to the people, they still said they have the right to say it. That may be at least off the top of my head the most egregious, you know, kind of not egregious, that would be the example that says free speech, the uh, legal protections to speak freely cover the most vulgar, rotten things that people could say, not the kind of things that just casually upset people. But free speech covers every type of mean and rotten and hurtful thing that anybody could say and not just um, speech that is, is uh, bothersome, so to speak. Free speech, United States Constitution. They have in here the date 1791. The uh, First Amendment, to the United States Constitution, was written to guarantee that Congress shall make no law. So um, I have three dates: 1787 is when the Constitution was ratified, and then three years later, the uh, the founders of the Constitution came back and amended. The Constitution by adding uh, ten amendments, which we know as the Bill of Rights, and it says in my copy that they were adopted June fifteenth, seventeen ninety. And the textbook, it says uh, in ni- excuse me, in seventeen ninety one, the first amendment to the U- U.S. Constitution was written to guarantee that Congress will make no law abridging the freedom of speech. And it says in more than two hundred years since then, entities as varied as state legislatures, college, university. And other so called civil rights groups and federal courts have sought to define, both in law and public policy, what the phrase freedom of speech means. It says only after the ratification of the First Amendment, Congress passed, only a few years after the ratification of the First Amendment, Congress passed the Sedition Act providing punishment for those who spoke out against the government. When Thomas Jefferson and James Madison declared this act unconstitutional, it was allowed to lapse. And if you look back on some of these um, Supreme Court decisions, especially those um, dealing with freedom of speech, um, the Sedition Act uh, had a context for sure. And so um, I know that the courts have said that uh, that the First Amendment guarantees uh, the right of the people to speak freely, and then they will also say, well, there are certain time, place, and manner restrictions that um, can be legal legal to enact. And I think in that case, uh, the Congress thought that there were certain things that during war that people should not say uh, because it interfered with the government's ability to fight enemies. And I think that's one of the rationales for the Sedition Act. But later on, uh, it was declared unconstitutional and allowed to lapse. The free speech in the 20th century and uh, sure. during World War One, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it was lawful to restric- restrict speech at, that presented a clear and present danger to the nation and again uh, time, place and manner uh, restrictions that the Supreme Court has said that they will uh, within limit allow those types of restrictions and I think that's probably another uh, justification for them Um, In 1964, the Supreme Court narrowed the definition of slander, false speech that harms someone. The court ruled that before a public official can recover from slander, he or she must prove that the statement was made with actual malice. Again, it's a very narrow ruling um, because it had to do with people in public. So if an individual says something about them that is obviously not true then uh, then the individual could then sue the person for slander. But this happens to be a public official, not a non-public person. And it says here that uh, they must prove that the statement that was made uh, was made with actual malice. So you can go look up the definition of actual malice, but it wouldn't be something you'd say off the top of your head. It would be something that... The person knew was false, and they knew they had the intention to create harm, knowing that it was true. A very general definition of malice. Um, and then it says, in 1964, a boost for free speech occurred, not in the courts, but on the university campus, and that was 1964. So that probably um, was, at the time, um, in 1964, uh, kind of pre-civil rights um, protests and those kind of um, uh, legislation and people that were uh, fighting for for specific equal rights in 1964 um, on the campus of University of California. There was uh, three floors, it says, were taken over by um, students that were protesting. And um, today you're going to see the same kind of um, you're going to see different kinds of. You'll see different kinds of responses um, on college campuses, from highly supportive of protesters to to disengaging from protesters, to um, arresting protesters, to allowing protesters to stay. Even today, you're going to see uh, differences in how universities and colleges uh, respond, and in some cases it may seem quite... Um, uh, you may interpret the university's decision to be uh, um, easily interpreted as uh, a violation of the rights of people, and in other cases you'll see um, where um, people's rights obviously are being supported by these different institutions. but. The one controversy that I think is in the textbook, and they don't spend a lot of time on it, but um, I think I did, which is the 1989 Supreme Court case, Texas versus Johnson. And since I cover that in a separate um, audio, I won't spend a lot of time on it. Okay, so on page 45, it says free speech in the 21st century, and uh, then uh, they start off with the uh, September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. um, Those three attacks. And then the government um, passed something called the Patriot Act. And again, you guys can go uh, look some of this up because the book just barely mentions it. But um, some people believe that the Patriot Act imposed certain types of restrictions on free speech and other people believe it had zero impact. So you can kind of Make your decision on that. It says here, in May of 2006, Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer formally pardoned 78 um, late citizens of Montana who had been imprisoned or fined under Montana Sedition Act of 1918. So that was kind of interesting. And uh, the debate over the definition and protection of speech acts has continued into the 21st century um, of course, it would if you listened to my uh, podcast. I kind of explained it that if um, if actions count, if actions can be protected under the First Amendment as speech, then it just would be rational that there's going to be other actions that people will argue that should be protected under the First Amendment. And again, if it is true that you can act in a way that clearly violates uh, the state law, but that you can then try to make an argument that uh, your your actions, even though they're unlawful they under the state law, that they should be protected because they are really speech and not actions at all. Or their actions and speech, but the actions should be treated as speech, and hopefully in, in that uh, audio lecture I made some sense of that. Because you can see where it says um, the debate over the definition and protection of speech access continued in the 21st century, of course. In 2013, a U.S. federal court ruled that using a like button on Facebook is free speech is a free speech act protected by the Constitution. So um, a federal court ruled that using the like button on Facebook um, is a free speech act protected by the Constitution. So on page, back to page 45 in in the middle of section there is interesting. It says that the debate over the definition of protection of speech acts has continued. I think I just said that. Um, But um, it's kind of reminiscent of the uh, Texas versus Johnson ruling. But it says here uh, the Fourth Circuit um, decided the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals decided that um, there were a couple of sheriff deputies that either got, were not appointed to uh, a, uh, basically didn't get a promotion and one of them may have been fired that uh, because they hit the like button on the sheriff's opponent. So the sheriff then decided that they should be fired and ultimately the U.S. Court of Appeals Ruled in Bland versus Roberts that clicking the like button on Facebook qualifies as protected speech. So the um, deputies clicked uh, the like button on the, uh, I guess, the opponent of the sheriff, and somehow the sheriff found out and either demoted them or didn't give them promotion. I think it says one may have been fired. And the, the US Court of Appeals said that uh, you cannot, that's free speech, which means you can't penalize somebody for speaking freely. So if you hit the like button, that's considered speaking freely, and you cannot uh, fire the person or demote them. I mean, on its face, it just sounds silly that um, this sheriff would want to demote or fire uh, employees because they, quote, uh, hit the like button on, on somebody else's page. It's uh, certainly juvenile, but somehow that uh, behavior by that sheriff ended up creating some precedent, at least at this point, with a federal court, not necessarily the Supreme Court. So um, until somebody has standing um, to challenge that, who knows what will happen next, but that's another uh, interesting uh, development there. Okay. Okay. So you can look at um, page 45. There's a whole bunch of different... Um, now, they they, they they refer to a few different cases in the 21st century. Okay, page 46. Um, there is a quick check. History of free speech in the United States. And you could see the, they list um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Looks like 14 different um, items that they selected over the last uh, 200-plus years, so I'm not exactly sure how they decided uh, those out of the uh, thousands, I'm sure, that they could have put there. But take a look at that. Okay, so we're going to stop at page 46. Uh, This is going to be the first section. I'll I'll make it uh, uh, two sections, approximately 30 minutes apiece, so we'll be picking up section 2 on page 47, okay, to final out.